0: Good to be here today, good to have you here joining us for service, whether you're in present, in in person, or following us along on the Facebook, we invite you for our service, our worship today. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Galatians chapter 5, yes, chapter 5, we'll read that again this morning. If you don't have a Bible of your own, you can raise your hand, our ushers will bring one to you that you can use throughout our service. Galatians chapter 5. Please stand together in respect to the reading of God's word. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you would take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the gospel has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. May God give us understanding in this portion of scripture that we read this morning and will be preaching through as well. If you would, let's take time to pray this morning. If you'll bow your heads with me in a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you. We want to be thankful. We want to be direct. We want to be purposeful in our thanksgiving, that thanks belongs to you. Not just thank goodness but thank you father. You are the only good in all of this creation. You alone are good. You alone are righteous. You alone have created us and has sustained us. Has given us life and sustained that life and you've given us eternal life through Jesus Christ and we thank you. As we reflect on Thanksgiving, may our hearts just be filled with praise and thanks for you. May we think and remember and recall the blessings that come from you, that which you give and that which you provide for us, that relationship that we can have with you that brings us to peace with you and... Allows us to have fellowship with others who know you and love you. Thank you, Lord, for this church, for its doors being open. Thank you for the gospel to be proclaimed here in this place. Thank you for those who come to hear. Thank you for those who, who watch over the internet. And thank you for those whose lives have been changed by the gospel. Thank you for your grace that has been showered on each of us, Lord. And we just thank you for just seeing different parts of that grace, seeing believers come back together. Thank you for the healing that you provided, my wife, and allowing her to be here again with us. We thank you for so many that you have healed. We thank you, Lord, for those who haven't been healed and have gone on to be with you to a greater place, to a greater existence with you out of these bodies and into the presence with you. We thank you for that. We thank you for the grace that allows us to to, to grieve with hope, allows us to work through our struggles, trusting you, and resting and leaning on each other, hugging each other, and providing support for each other with that grace in mind, with that hope in mind that we will one day be with you and join together with all who we love and you love. So we thank you for this day. We pray as we go throughout this week that that attitude of thankfulness and gratitude will continue in us. It will be seen in all that we say and all that we do, that you will get the glory. Open our eyes to your word and your truth today now, Lord, that we might appreciate, enjoy, and take in all that you have to say and be encouraged, inspired, changed, and challenged by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. The choir comes to give special music, then the preaching of your word, of God's word tonight. to go through a series like Galatians. It helps us to appreciate the grace of God. It gives us an appreciation for the gospel that presents the grace of God. Paul defended the gospel because he said it was, someone was trying to uh, corrupt the teaching of the gospel. And that's something that the Holy Spirit within him would not allow him to let that rest. God had given the gospel through the apostles to his people, and Paul was one and that uh, God had used to give the gospel, and he was also one who God used to protect the gospel. How important it is for us to understand today what the gospel is and to stand alone on that gospel. So you see in chapter 1 of Galatians, he many times he mentions the word gospel. Can we just review that just a moment? Verse 8, verse 6, I'm sorry. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, when I talk about the gospel, if I was to ask people individually, do you understand the gospel? Do you appreciate the gospel? Do you know the gospel? Many people would affirm that, yes, I know the gospel. Even people who, who don't trust Christ, don't believe in Christ, say, yeah, I've heard The gospel. And I know the gospel. And If you ask them to repeat it, 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 they may in fact understand. The gospel is based on the person of Jesus Christ. He lived a sinless life. He died as a sacrifice, crucified on a cross to pay for the sins of those who would trust in him. And he rose again to show victory over death, and to show that he was one sent by the Father and endorsed by God himself. That is the gospel, and that those who trust in Christ for forgiveness of their sins are delivered from God's judgment. Now that's simple gospel, and, and so many people have heard that and understand that. Praise God. One thing that comes through Galatians then is an understanding and a stand on that gospel isn't just something that's up here, something that you can recite and know, but it's something that changes how you think and how you live. It has to. If you say you believe in the gospel, Paul's argument is then that you will stand alone on that gospel and it will affect everything that you do. It affects how you think. It affects how you live. So strong is his argument is that he says, look, that's why we don't need any outside correction or enforcement when the gospel has impacted lives. Let me say it another way. He says we don't need the law to tell you what to do, what not to do, or to force you into doing what you are supposed to do, because the gospel in itself will, will provide the power that you need to live the way God wants you to live. So he says this in chapter 5, I want to, you notice I did chapter 5, we did chapter 5 last week, but we're going through today to look at chapter 5 and to talk about the practical aspect of the gospel. So many people say they believe in the gospel, but they don't show it in their lives. Paul says, he starts off in verse 1, for freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He says, the gospel that you heard that's centered on Christ has set you free. It's not just an intellectual knowledge that is given to you so that you can assent to some truth, but it has changed your life. It has literally set you free. And he admonishes them to stand firm in that freedom. In in verse 13, he repeats that. For you were called to freedom, brothers. So now he tells them how they are to live in this freedom that the gospel provides. You see, he's fighting against those who say, that in order to be right with God, you have to obey a set of laws and standards, and you have to keep that principle. And once you keep that principle, you're qualified now to be right with God. Paul says, no, that's not the gospel at all. That's a system of works. It's saying, hey, if you can do this, then you're good enough to get into heaven. Paul rejects that outrightly it says, no, that is not the gospel. The gospel is based on what Christ has done and the grace that God gives to us, those who believe in him, because of what Christ has accomplished. It doesn't require that we meet some standard first. Now, in saying that, Paul Paul is aware of those who come back and say, well, see, that means once you're saved, you're free, and you can do as you please, and nobody can say anything to you or point you to any law or or anything in the Word of God that says, hey, you, you, you can live as you please. Paul says that is not what the gospel says at all. The gospel does not give you freedom to live as you please and do as you please. You know, people say so much today, don't judge me. Don't hold me to any standard of accountability because I can do as I please and I can call myself whatever I want to call myself. Paul says, no, that's not the gospel. That's a distorted uh, nonsense that, that doesn't add up to the gospel at all. He says this, verse 13, you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another. Before I get into that topic of love, which he begins to speak on in this chapter, he hasn't really talked about that anywhere else before in Galatians. And now he brings up this topic of love, and what, what does love have to do with it? He, 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 he brings in. Before we get to that, though, notice how significant and how powerful his, his, his argument is. In, in verse 4, we're still in Galatians 5, verse 4, he says, before that, he says, if, if you're going to accept some kind of standard, that means you've got to meet the whole standard. You can't just pick and choose what you're going to be and say, you're okay. I've done this. You know, people say, well, I obeyed the Ten Commandments. You say, really? And, and, and you say, well, which ones? <laughs> In fact, that's what Jesus did with the, the young, young ruler who came to him. He says, what do I have to do to, to, to have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what, what does the word say? He said, well, keep the law, keep the Ten Commandments. I've done all that. <laughs> Jesus says, well, which ones? <laughs> which ones did you do? He said, well, I've done this, I've done this, I've done that. But he missed the the, the main ones. And and you should have no other gods before you. You, you, God has to be your God first and foremost. and, And you cannot serve anything or anyone else, including yourself, where most people fail because they live a self-centered life. And that self-centered life here is, is talked about a life of the flesh, a life of I do what I feel like doing. That's, that's what the life of the flesh is talking about. So in, in verse 13, when he says, um, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. If you live a life according to what you want to do, you make up your own rules, you do as you please, No one has any say, nothing uh, sways you or or, or motivates you to do anything else. Just if you feel like it, that's that's serving your desires, and then you become your own God. You become the chief ruler in your life as to what you should and shouldn't do. That's not serving God at all. That's serving your own desires and, and a God of your own making, which you see when you look in the mirror. So he says in verse 4 that, hey, if you're going to keep the law, then you've got to keep all of it. And if you have that attitude, here's what happens. You are severed from Christ, you who will be justified by the law. In other words, using some other standard then completely severs you from Christ. See, they wanted to have it both ways. I have Christ and I keep the law and I'm good going to have double protection no no no. if you're going to use the standard of the law then you absolutely severed from christ christ has no nothing to do in your life and what he has done has no avail or, or has not done any good for you he goes on to say <clears throat> you have fallen away from grace in verse four Now, if you know Paul and you know the the teaching of Scripture, he knows that it's not possible to once believe and then fall away. So he's not saying that that you have come to know Christ and now you have lost it in some kind of way. He says you've never been there. This is totally opposed to who Christ is. It it, is totally contrary to, to grace and Christ. That is some other standard of making yourself righteous yourself. And so the gospel, it strips us of all pride, of a sense of accomplishment that we've done something to be right with God. You know, you can't get a degree, you, you uh, do anything that, that impresses God or makes you right with him. And so that, that just puts us all out that's what the gospel does and it points to Christ as our only way. So then he introduces this thought of love. <laughs> he begins to break it down to us. Look at verse, um, verse 13. Through love serve one another. Through love, he says, serve one another. He tells us what the proper use of our freedom should look like. We are free because of the gospel, but what does that look like? It doesn't mean given opportunity for the flesh or serving the flesh. Instead it means through love to serve and through love to serve one another. Then in verse 14, he summarizes and says, this isn't contrary to the law. He goes step in, hand in hand or step and step with the law. He says it this way, verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Remember they, they came to Jesus and they tried to pin him down and and because, you know, this natural thinking of, hey, is this teaching of the gospel, it's just throwing the law away and it's teaching that there is some kind of conflict between the gospel and law remember paul said before there's nothing wrong with the law it's just something was wrong with us that we couldn't keep it and so there was no way for us to be made right by keeping the law the law simply condemns us points us as wrong or as sinners but that doesn't make anything wrong with the law so there's no conflict with the law. He says, in fact, if I summarize the whole law, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You should love your neighbor. They asked Jesus that question. Tell us, what does the law mean? Can you sum it up? He says, I'll be glad to do that. Two things. <laughs> love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And he basically said, hey, if you can fulfill that, you don't need Christ. <laughs> But there it is. We can't and we don't fulfill that because we love ourselves. We are so centered on ourselves. This is not a conflict between grace and the gospel and the law. The law just points to us as being deficient and lacking. And so we need An outside savior. So he says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. What Paul is saying here is something very key that I want to touch on for the rest of the message. He's saying, look, the way you think affects the way that you act. If you got the gospel wrong, your living will be wrong. And that's why he's attacking this attack on the gospel. He says these people are coming in and they're distorting the gospel. They're saying Christ ain't good enough. You have to also obey this standard. And since they got that wrong, everything that comes from that is going to affect how people behave and how they act. Look how they were acting. He says they're biting and devouring one another. They were fighting each other. They were in constant battle. James tells us where do fights come from? It comes from the war within. You want what you want, I want what I want. You ain't giving in to me, I ain't giving in to you, so we got a battle going on. It comes from our selfish desires, the conflict. It's a personal battle. And so he's saying that what your your understanding of the gospel affects how you live it out you don't trust in the gospel and rest in the true gospel it's going to affect how you live, it's going to affect two two main things your relationship, your fellowship with God that's your vertical relationship and then your horizontal relationship, your fellowship your relationship with others it's going to impact that, what else is there right, (laughs) those two things what else is there So the gospel or wrong idea of the gospel impacts the way each of us live day to day. See, the reason why I'm saying that, the reason why Paul says that is that we kind of think that, hey, you know, I learned the gospel when I was seven years old. I got it. I got it straight. Like I said, when I started, you ask people if they understand the gospel, they they think they got it. But when you look at their life, you see that they don't got it. See, the gospel isn't something that we just learned when we were young at Sunday school and we don't need to think about it anymore. It's something that impacts the way we live today, the way we think and the way that we live. And so he says, get it right, understand it, take it in, appreciate it, and you will live it out rightly. What do you think about yourself? What do you think about others? See, if I understand the gospel, I'm not a worthy person. And I don't deserve anything. I'm a wretched sinner that deserves God's judgment. Now, how does that impact my thinking about you? How does that impact my interaction with you? How does it impact my interaction with God? It brings me humbly before God, first of all, and says, dear God, I need you. You must save me. People think that they're a gift to God. I'm special, God. You made me. I'm your gift. No. You might be the gift of God. In other words, he's worked on you, fixed you up, and now he's sending you out as a gift. That's what he does. But you're not a gift to God. As if you're going to bless him in some kind of way, enhance him in some kind of way, The gospel does crushes our ego. It crushes our pride. But it settles us on something we can stand on, and that's Christ himself. God didn't want you standing on yourself. He wants you standing on Christ. So he goes on to talk about how what we think impacts how we live, and he introduces this thing of love, and he introduces this idea of the Holy Spirit. verse 16 but I say walk by the spirit walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh that's the guard against wrong conduct see there, there, there's, there's there's one way to guard against wrong wrong conduct and that is by having a law and having an enforcer you know how that works right You have a law and you have an enforcer. And that's effective as long as the law is right and good and the enforcer is present and visible. Right? I mean, if you tell me the speed limit on the freeway is 65 and I'm in the center lane and I'm going 65, right? That's cool, right? But when I want to go 75 and I look to my right and I look to my left, and I don't see any, any red and blue lights. I don't see anybody creeping along, so I could just kind of ease on up to 75, ease on up to 80, and ease on up to 85. And, and the law is not effective unless there's an enforcer there. Nothing stops me from doing that. Except maybe the car in front of me, right? But I can get around him. Get by him or make him move over. The law is cool. That was to save lives. You need to stay at 65, man. That's a safe safe speed for all of us. But don't, don't do any good unless they're forced. You've been riding on a highway doing this. You know, highway, I'm just cruising. I have to admit, I was going over 65. I was, then all of a sudden, all these cars up ahead, right? Why are they going so slow? I just kind of cruised. Cruise. Did all. oh I see ain't no cars way ahead. It's just a block of cars right here. And guess who's in front of all of them? You got it. It's the sheriff. He's cruising at 65. Ain't nobody gonna pass him. And so the whole highway is just like we was going and then we go You know, you kind of get close to him and then you slow down, and go, oh, <laughs> Look at my speed. I'm yeah, I'm good. I'm good. So the enforcer is present, right? He keeps everybody in check. But as soon as he pulls off at the exit, guess what happens? You know what happens. Hey, we can hit it now. Zoom, right? We've been there, done that. That's how it is. The law is effective as long as the enforcer is present and visible. I had a thing on my car. I was driving down, and all of a sudden it says uh, uh, something like a radar area ahead. I'm like, whoa, thanks for telling me that, you know? So even though you ain't visible, I know you there. So, okay, I'm uh, going to slow down there, right? So you got to, it's effective if you have an enforcer that is present or visible. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. That you don't need an outside forcer when you have an indweller. And guess what? He's always present. He's always present. He indwells you. Now, he does two things I want to emphasize. He indwells, that means he's with you and his presence is made known, but he's not just that. Because we have a conscience in, 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 in us that tells us certain things are, are right or certain things are wrong. But even the unsaved people have a conscience. The problem is it can become warped. See, The Holy Spirit doesn't become warped. Once you do things a couple times, you get over the fear of it being called wrong. It's just the way you do things now. And you're perfectly happy with that. And you can keep doing that. In other words, you can violate your conscience a couple times to where you no longer feel guilty for violating that conscience, and you you cool. You keep on doing that. Holy Spirit is different. He's a person. Not only does he indwell, he empowers. And this is where the law had no effect. The Holy Spirit empowers us. He gives us the wanna. He gives us the motivation, the desire from within to do what God asks us to do. He don't have to make you do something. He makes you want to do something. <laughs> you heard of that, that, that old children's story uh, of, uh, of the, the story of, of, of the, the wind and, and the sun. There was an old man who was, who was wearing a coat. And the wind says, you know, I'm more powerful than you, son. I can blow and I can I can whirl up my 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 winds from the north and I can bring a hurricane or I can twirl around and bring a tornado. I can devastate lands and I can I have power. The sun says, "Yeah, well, I have power too." So let's do a test. See that old man over there with his coat? Let's see who can Get his coat off of him. And so the wind said, I'm going to go first. And he began to, to blow and, and whirl. He was trying to blow the man's coat off. But the more he blew, the more the man wrapped his coat up. And he walked and he held it tight. And the sun said, okay, move over. It's my turn. You know what happened. <laughs> the sun came out bright and he shined. And, and he didn't try to force the man's coat off. It got so warm the man just said, hey, I don't need this no more. I, I can do away with this and took his coat off. And so the contest between the wind and the sun showed something. You see, the sun warmed the man and gave him the desire to do what the Son wanted him to do. The wind opposed the man (laughs) and was not efficient or effective in changing him. And so the Holy Spirit works in each believer. Can we just take pause for a moment? I, I want you to see how what Paul is speaking about doesn't go against the law and it's the same gospel in fact that jesus spoke of and we can see that it jumps out to me at least in john i'm gonna look at a couple passages in john in john chapter 14 we're in this section in galatians that he says walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh that happens because the Holy Spirit indwells those who have put their faith in Jesus, and he empowers them to do his will, to do God's will. In John chapter 14, we look at several places in John, so just walk with me for a moment. In John 14, verse 13, 15 through 17. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and it's just days before he's going to go to the cross, and he knows he's going to leave his disciples. He knows they're going to be discouraged once he's crucified, and and he's, he's planting the seed of truth to stabilize them and to encourage them when those rough times come. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is going to be sent by Jesus, and and he's sent to, to those who trust in him, who know him. And he says, Jesus says he's going to indwell. He's going to live inside of you. He empowers them as well. Verse 18, I would not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. He says, I won't be with you anymore, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you. And because I'm living and I've sent this Holy Spirit, you will be able to, in other words, you empowered to live. Not just exist, but to live. He continues. In that day, you, excuse me, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. a unique relationship that he talks about. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the words that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. He says, we will come to him and make our home in him. Jesus talks about the fact that the Holy Spirit will live in each and every believer, those who trust in Jesus. And it's as if God and the Son himself have their presence within you. You want to talk about things to be thankful for at Thanksgiving today? This week, you can, you can be thankful that as a believer, the presence of God is in you and will never leave you. That presence is called the Holy Spirit. He indwells you and he empowers you to do his will. Look at verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. (coughs) Why does he do that? Because that's the source of his empowerment. That's the source of him giving you strength. He'll bring to, he'll cause you to remember those things from his word. Let me say to the believer, the Holy Spirit lives within you. The Holy Spirit again the Holy Spirit lives within you and what he does is remind you of God's word now <laughs> you can't remind somebody something or something they don't know right <laughs> you got to tell them first but God has already given you a desire he says in Peter as as, as babes desire the sincere milk of the word, it, it's just like a, a, a little baby. Has a, there is a supernatural, I was going to say natural, but it's with the spiritual things. It's a supernatural desire he gives you for God's word. Take in God's word. And the Holy Spirit, it's, it's like he has the ammunition he needs to power you. So the Holy Spirit is there. He indwells you. He empowers you. I'll go back to Galatians. We'll stick, put a marker in in John. We'll come back there if we have time. But Galatians 5, he talks about walking by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit is not as some people imagine. They think, you know, when I'm in the Spirit, I'm just, oh, I'm just happy-go-lucky and I'm in this state of I I just love everybody and why can't we all just get along kind of attitude. That's not what walking in the spirit means and to give you the proof of that look what he says in galatians chapter 5 verse 16 and 17 i say walk by the spirit you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh and these are opposed to each other he says there is a battle going on and there's opposition right so, to think that to be in the Spirit is to be free from any conflict and opposition, even with fellow believers, is a wrong thought. I'll give you a practical example of that. Paul starts this whole book with a conflict he has with the believers at Galatia and with the Apostle Peter himself. Why? In the Spirit, he has a spirit led conflict with those who fail to live according to the gospel. Turn with me to chapter 2, when he he talks about his his, uh, interaction with Peter. I'm going to start at verse 11 and read through verse 14. But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Here's the key. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. He says, their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. You see that? When you understand the gospel, or if you misunderstand the gospel, it's going to affect your conduct. It's going to affect how you live. If you have a right understanding of the gospel, it means a right conduct or way of living. An incorrect understanding of the gospel. And I'm not talking about head knowledge. It starts, yes, you have to understand something up here. But to embrace the gospel as God means it to be embraced will impact our conduct, our relationship with each other. And sometimes when Paul talks about walking by the Spirit, it's not always kumbaya, getting along with everybody. Sometimes the Spirit will bring up conflicts in the body in order to make the body healthy. That's what our human bodies do. You know what? But something foreign is in our body that that don't belong there. It's war. Our body sends an attack on that, right? And it goes for the good of the body to address that which is distorting the truth. And that's what Paul did. Led by the Holy Spirit. That's what walking in the Spirit, it sometimes brings up these conflicts. But the motivation and the purpose behind the conflict is to walk together in love and to be right. Paul, remember what he said earlier in chapter 5? He says, hey, um, I, I trust you're going to get this right. And those who are disturbing you, <laughs> you'll reject them, push them aside. He said, if it was up to me, I'd have them take, take uh, uh, this circumcision to the whole point. True conflict. Powerful words. But he ain't saying that out of the flesh. He's saying that because God, the Holy Spirit, has given him a love for the gospel, and it impacts his whole, it gives him a passion for living. A desire to please God. Remember what he said in chapter 1, I think it's verse 8? Um... Notice chapter 1, verse 10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The Holy Spirit within me, says, has challenged me to confront any distortion of the gospel and to correct believers in the right way, to correct believers who say they stand on the gospel but don't live like it. And he confronted Peter because of that. Peter, you're an apostle. And you should know the gospel. You should know better. And it should impact your conduct. What is he saying to us today? You've been in the church for how long? You've understood the gospel. Is it impacting your life so that you no longer live in a self-centered life, but a life that's centered on pleasing God? Not just doing what you please. People don't even like when you ask them why they don't come to church. Why are you asking me that? I ain't got to come to church. I, I I know who God is. Really? You don't sound like it right now. You don't live like it right now. It doesn't seem to be on your top top of your list. And that's the problem. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. There's no room for nothing else. He's first and foremost. That's the gospel. Jesus says, you belong to me now. You are not your own. you purchase with the price. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. In other words, I count my life as dead. Nevertheless... I live, he's given me life, but the life that I now live is not my own. It's for his glory. So if God says, I want you to get a job, (laughs) you get a job. If God says, I want you to quit that job, you quit that job. If God says, do this, we do this. We do exactly as he says, he's Lord and not us, but we listen to him. So that's a whole different view of the enemies of Paul saying, see, look, your freedom causes people to sin and to do their own thing. Paul says, no, it's not that way at all. It says it's the Holy Spirit living in us who who indwells and empowers us, keeps us on the path that God would have us. And he does that very purposefully. Going back to Galatians 5, he says, the desires, verse 17, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. And they're opposed to each other. There's a battle that's going on. There's a new law that operates in us. Look at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, that's a dangerous thought in some people's mind. Don't tell them that they're not under the law. Because we need a little enforcement there. We need a little, we need something to keep folks in line, they, they, they would think. But Paul says, no, if you're under the Spirit, you, there's no need for that. Because the Holy Spirit will keep you right in line. How does he do that? He said there's a new law. Jesus said it this way. If I go back to John, John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, he says this. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He says it's a new commandment. It's a commandment of love. You don't have to feel bullied or pressured uh, into doing something. In fact, if you're doing it only for that reason, maybe you don't have that motivation, that proper motivation inside you, which is the love of God. I know I battle with certain things, and I I have to ask God, give me the love that I need, a love for your word, a love for your people, a love for you that I need that you say I should have and is mine in your word. Give me that love. Give me a passion, oh Lord, for the things of you because I realize the things of this world, they can fill my time but they don't fulfill me. And in eternity, they won't mean very much. Give me a love for your things. And I get that as I see his word, I begin to put things in perspective. And I, I ask God in this battle that I have for my flesh and, and his spirit, give me that love. Give me the, the enhance the desires within me that please you. And as I begin to do that, I want to be around those places that help me with that. In in, in the presence of God's people, in the presence of hearing His Word, the Holy Spirit begins and He continues to war with those things that are in conflict with Him in my life. It's not easy. It's an ongoing battle. It's things I battle with every day. You think, well, you 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 a preacher, you know, you, you, you devoted yourself to the life of, of, of living right, and, and you no longer have to battle those kind of things that I battle with. It. Well, look, I'm a human being, and I battle, and I continue to battle those same things, those selfish desires, those self-centered desires that I have. But the thing is, there's a battle. And the Holy Spirit reminds me and equips me for that battle and encourages me in that battle and keeps me going in that battle. Jesus says there's a new law in you. It's a new commandment in you. It's a commandment to love. It's a commandment to be less concerned with your own selfish desires and because of your desire to serve God, looking on the needs of others. You know, as a pastor, I oftentimes wonder why people don't come to Wednesday night. Why, when they have an opportunity to be, to be gone from truth seekers, they stay at home instead of coming. I want, and sometimes I'm just like, Lord, what should I do? Should I take each one and just slap them? Should I just smack him upside the head? Can I do that, Lord? He said, yeah, you could. But it won't be very effective. It won't get the response that, that we need. He says, tell him your word. Tell him the Holy Spirit within him. Tell him that God desires. their whole hearts, and that they owe him none, nothing less than that. And tell them they won't regret giving that over to the Lord. Point them to the people here who serve God passionately and selflessly, who have third shift jobs and no jobs and, and all kinds of situations, but they love the Lord and they do what they do because they love God. And it's hard for them and they struggle, but they live and they persevere. It's the Holy Spirit within them that drives them. Talk to them, get to know them. You'll see that they're human beings just like you, but they've been shaped and being shaped and formed. The battle that continues in them, (laughs) it it just continues and it, it continues on another level. He says there's a new law. It's a law of love. You wonder why after Peter had disappointed the Lord, you know, right before Jesus was going to the cross, he told his disciples, one of you is an imposter. And you're going to betray me. And they also, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And then John got close to Jesus and says, well, hey, give us a hand. Who it is? And Jesus said, it's the one who dips the bread with me. And he's talking about Judas. But then Jesus says to Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the night's over. Can you imagine? With a guy like Peter, that just made him mad. Like, no way. Ain't no way in the world. Uh Uh-uh, not me. And then what had happened, he was scared. He was disappointed. He was discouraged. He thought himself a failure because in the moment, in that moment, he didn't come through. But then Jesus went and got him after, after the resurrection. After the crucifixion and after the resurrection, Jesus went and got Peter along with some others You'll see that in John chapter 20 21. On ch- chapter 21, it is. He gets Peter. And he asks Peter an interesting, provocative question. Peter, do you love me? Not Peter, have you given up on me? Do you love me? Now, Peter, are you discouraged? But do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. And he basically said to Peter, continue in my work. Continue in my work. Yes, you've disappointed me. Yes, but I told you that was going to happen <laughs> beforehand. In other words, you and I might not be all we think we might be. But God still gently takes us, encourages us, and says, look, keep going. Live faithful. Live faithfully for me. Serve me. I have a purpose for you. And I want you to do it. See, your purpose is not going to make you the big one, the main one, the head honcho as it would be. But do it out of love for me. Serve me. Love me with all that you have. And so there's battles that's going to continue to go on. If you're a part of this church, you'll be confronted from time to time. You'll go home mad because somebody confronted you. Maybe mad at me. But that's the battle that goes on. That God wants you to serve him. God wants you to put him first, absolutely first in your life. You know what? He never apologizes for asking too much. You ever notice that? He never apologizes for asking too much. Because Jesus never hesitated for give, from giving all. Never hesitated. He knew Peter was going to disappoint him. He still went to the cross. You see that? For Peter. For me. For you. This understanding of the gospel impacts and affects our thinking and our action. It should bring us to humility. It should bring us to honor God. It should bring us to open our arms before God and say, Lord, here's my life. Whatever you want me to do, I'll serve you other words, he's saying, this church ain't got to be perfect for you to join it. You're serving God. You're serving him. I remember when I was a kid, I used to think, "Well, God, if you're calling me, the pastor's going to say some magic words that's just right in my ear, and then I'll do it. He said, ain't I told you that already? Haven't I spoken that to you already? Submit to me. Surrender to me. Give yourself over to me, God says. Right where you are, in the place that you are, right now. Don't wait for anything else. Don't wait for things to be perfect under your conditions. Serve the Lord right now, right where you are. Father, we pray and thank you. We pray that you give us that thankful spirit that humble spirit that recognizes that we were not worthy of anything that you've done for us but that didn't stop you from doing it and you sent your son you paid the price, you sent your Holy Spirit to be with to teach, to lead to direct, to encourage to challenge us And we thank you now. And we admit, we want to say, that's enough. You don't need anything else or anyone else to enhance what you've done, but you made it clear your love and your purpose for us. So, Lord, I pray that you call believers to walk in that newness of life, to call believers to walk in the truth of the gospel, to let that impact all of their lives for your glory if there's one here today Lord that wants to commit themselves to you I pray that they would do it right now they've done it in their heart may they tell someone about it so we can pray for them and encourage them and even hold them accountable so we thank you for this time together and we pray that you would just move in the hearts of your people right now in Jesus name we pray amen